Hello, and welcome to Building Community with Whitney and Anu. We are two Asian American millennials who aim to empower our communities through our stories and words, one cup of tea at a time. you're going to hear this later, we are recording today's episode on Labor Day weekend, which means that it's the unofficial end of summer. I know some of you are all sad about that, but fall is my favorite time of year. And I'm really excited to wear sweaters and drink pumpkin spice lattes and step on crunchy leaves. I got my pumpkin flavored cold brew here and it brings me so much joy. It's from this hipster coffee shop up in Michigan. Um, So hopefully fall leaves a smile on your face as much as it does for me. Today, we're going to talk about languages and the part that it plays in so many communities. It's a fairly common experience within the Asian American community, and we all somewhat have a relationship with what I guess we would call the mother tongue of our families, like the languages that maybe people who are older than you have spoken, but maybe they weren't passed down to you. Maybe you know some of the language, but can't speak it, or you want to learn it, or maybe you grew up with the language and it's become a big point of pride in your culture, which is really cool as well. So no matter what your experiences are with languages within your culture is, it's all valid and the experiences can vary. So we thought we'd explore that today. I know I definitely had a lot of exposure to my family's mother tongue growing up. What languages did you sort of learn or get experience with when you were growing up? I think for me, it's kind of interesting because I, when people have asked me that, it's like, oh, it's Japanese, obviously. But I have a really, I guess, fairly common experience with with Japanese or with languages was that my family had, they had learned Japanese like before I was born. And so my grandma, who's from Japan, speaks Japanese. That's her primary language still. My grandfather learned Japanese as an adult, even though he was Japanese American living in Hawaii. And so I found myself growing up around it, but it never became a priority for any adult to teach it to me. And I also didn't really, it, for some reason, it never occurred to me to like ask someone to teach it to me. I think Japanese gets a reputation for being one of the harder languages to learn, quote unquote. And so I feel like that played into like between that and kind of internalized assimilation with older generations being like, oh, you don't need to learn it because you're here, you're in California now, like you don't have to learn it. It wasn't really a priority, but I do remember hearing my grandma and her like older Japanese lady friends speaking it and they spoke so fast. I had no idea what they were saying. So I remember growing up hearing it, but my brain didn't really pick up a lot of it. Like I remember watching a lot of Japanese cartoons and kind of picking up like concepts about what was going on. I remember um, going to Asian markets, like hearing the language. I remember like hearing other Asian languages being spoken throughout Monterey County because there's like Asian pockets around Monterey County or there was when I was growing up. I was exposed to that at a young age, but unfortunately I never really retained it. Um, I took French in high school. And so that was kind of my first real like honest try into learning a language. And I very much enjoyed it. I really liked the idea of being able to travel with something and being able to to maintain it. But um, unfortunately, I've forgotten a lot of it. So I'm trying to reclaim reclaim that. Yeah. So for me, the language that we had exposure to when we were growing up was this Indian dialect called Tamil. So Tamil or Tamil 
um, is a popular language in India, especially in South India. Uh, Hindi is probably the more well-known language um, in India, Hindi and English, but Tamil is pretty popular um, in the South. So it was really interesting because me and my brother we were trying to learn English, right? Because we had moved to America when we were, when I was uh, just about to start preschool. So learning English was more of the focus. So it was a very interesting sort of uh, interaction with our parents because they would speak to us in Tamil and we would speak back to them in English. It's just weird how we processed it. So we would get like, oh, did you did you do your homework in Tamil? And then we would say in English, we would say, yeah, I did. Um, so that's kind of how we grew up. There were two languages <laughs> spoken, but one from my parents' side mostly, and then one from my brother's side. Now, my parents also speak English really well. So there was definitely English spoken too, but it was just a... It was just an interesting mix of like how we did it. I don't know if you relate to that on any level. Like if like people in your family spoke another language to you and then you replied in another language. Yeah, I've definitely seen that play out. So my my grandma, she's lived in she's lived in America for a long, long time now, but her primary language is Japanese. And so most of the time when she talks about something, I can usually figure out what she's trying to say or like what she's asking for or whatever. But um, my mom and her have a similar dynamic to that. My mom and her brothers have a similar dynamic to what you and your brother have with your your parents where they will talk to them in Japanese and then they'll respond in English. My mom, I know, doesn't speak it, but she understands it really well. And so she can like listen to people like on the airplanes or whatever, like she would talk about like eavesdropping into conversations. But um, I think that, that, I think that's really cool. That's really interesting that you can, that like you can understand it. So you're processing it, but it's like input, input and like no, very little output. Do you find that you understand more than you speak? Oh yeah. So even to this day, I can pretty much understand all of it, but in terms of speaking, I'm at like the very basic um, speaker level, kind of like if you took Spanish 101 and then you just stopped, I'm kind of at that level, um, just really basic. But yeah, so that was a prominent language growing up. Um, and then Spanish was also something I had a lot of exposure to. And that was more because of like mandatory school requirements. And I also took a little bit of French, but I sort of like have this weird, I don't know if it's weird, but I sort of have this gripe with like how we learn Spanish or languages in school. And um, for me, like I would say I took about eight solid years of Spanish, and this is including uh, intensive Spanish in college. So, I mean, I think after all that time, like you would think that I would have been able to come away with something, right? Mm -hmm. I've actually come away with little to nothing. I just wonder if it's because I sort of like memorized everything just for like exams or just to pass the class. I never retained the information. So that's sort of my gripe. I would love to like have more knowledge about it, but I'm still at the basics. 
I'm not even at Spanish 101. I'm like at, you know, wherever you are before you even take Spanish. So <laughs> I forgot all the conjugations. I forgot basic verbs. The only thing I feel really confident about is, hi, how are you? And um, that makes me sad after eight years of Spanish. So I don't know exactly what went wrong, but I just didn't retain any of the material. I don't know what it is about language learning in schools and how it really messes up your perception on what the language is. Like when I took French, I really, I really enjoyed it. I mean, French, um, my French teacher for the first three years, she was one of my favorite teachers. She was like one of the like nicest, like, like coolest teachers. But I also know that a lot of schools are kind of beholden to the public school protocols, which is like, there's a lot of standardized testing. There's a lot of like kind of standards that teachers have to meet. And so you have to alter your lesson plans to that, which doesn't really lend itself well to real world experiences as much as it is. It conditions you to be like, oh, it's, I need to like get an A in this, in this class. And so unfortunately, while I, I think she tried to get us really enthusiastic, involved in French, um, I think that overall, uh, it was really hard to to maintain that motivation at the time because I wanted to eventually travel with this, but I also felt like a lot of people around me didn't really want to be there. It was a lot more about like graduating from high school, getting a good grade. So it's like, it kind of sucks because I know that there's different requirements that you have to have to graduate, but it's also like, these are, I say this is a this could potentially be a really useful skill. And so it doesn't really, it doesn't really seem that way. I think French over Spanish, it tends to be seen as less useful. And I don't necessarily like the idea of certain languages being more useful than others. I understand like the community aspect. So like if you live in LA, like, and you learn Spanish, of course, you'll be able to talk to more people. But I don't think there's such thing as a useless language because you become an ambassador to your, to that culture in some ways, if you know, if you know the language or if you're learning it. Um, to me, at least in my eyes, that's how I feel about that. But I feel a bit embarrassed when I, um, now that I'm taking French again, sometimes because I feel um, I'm like a false beginner, I guess. So that really means like, I, I took four years of French in high school, did really well in it, got all A's, like did well on all the tests, like did the public school kind of song and dance. And then I tried to speak it like in real life. And I just found myself so anxious of like messing up the sentences or like mispronouncing something or um, I kind of sound like a kid. So like, I feel, or like, like someone who is very much starting out. So I understand a lot more than I can speak it. So I have a tutor um, who I see about twice a month or so. Um, she actually lives in Japan, which is kind of funny, but she's from France. And so we were trying to figure out like various things that I've may have forgotten. Cause I'll like see something. I'll be like, Oh, I know what that means. And so I I'm picking up things fairly quickly, but it is frustrating. Cause it's like, I, I'm like, Oh, I, if I had found like someone to speak it with, or if I had like taken a pilgrimage to France or something, I could have learned like it, it's, it's hard to not feel that way where it's like, Oh, I could have maintained this, but I really didn't. And so it's, it's quite the journey trying to, trying to get that back. Um, Cause I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah, so you've been learning French recently, right? So um, how has that experience been? Like, do you find yourself like uh, finding it 
easier to learn as an adult or do you find yourself like finding it more difficult? I think I put more pressure on myself for French because I, there's a part of me that feels like there's something that I should know already. So like when I go over some like basic grammar things, like French has a lot of different nuances. Like, you know how English is kind of a convoluted language to learn if you don't grow up with it. Like there, French is somewhat similar to that, where there's a lot of different rules that you just have to memorize and they exist because they exist. And so I find that sometimes it can be hard for me to, to figure that out because I can, I can like generalize a, an article to a certain sentence structure, but I'm not always sure when to use those. So it's still not clear that what kind of things it's kind of like careless mistakes, making careless mistakes about um, the sentences that I make, but I really, I enjoy it so far. I feel, I feel good about myself when I, do well in it. Um, this is purely for me. So like, it's not for a grade or anything. It's not for my work. It's, it's because I want to like have that skill. And so it really helps to be accountable to a tutor or someone else that gets me motivated to, to study it. So I'm also learning Japanese now, which is something that I haven't really shared with a lot of people in, in my life. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're in my life, yeah. So I'm learning Japanese now. And, um, I am a complete beginner at that because I, because of what my, um, the way my family dealt with teaching us Japanese or not teaching us Japanese. And so I'm a complete beginner. I have a teacher who lives in, um, in Osaka and she has been great, but, um, I'm just like starting from the bottom with Japanese. Like, so I have experience hearing it. So like, I can kind of like figure out how to read things, but like learning the hiragana and katakana, like it, that's been a challenge as well, but I've also really enjoyed it. Like, it's really, you asked how my experience is. It's been very uh, humbling. Like it's, um, a lot of people don't like to be humbled, but, um, yeah, it's very humbling. Like learning a language will kick your ass. Like it's very, but it's really rewarding when you learn things. So it's both, but, um, it's challenging for sure. Uh, I think I told you, like I'm learning guitar and I sort of view music as kind of a language. And I think just as we're in terms of learning things when we're older, I think we do put a lot more pressure on ourselves because um, even if I were to learn Sp Spanish right now, I feel like I would be like, oh, I should know this. I have eight years under my belt or like, oh, I should know just the basics. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a part of me that's like harder on myself. Whereas if I were learning it as a 12 year old or like a teenager, I would give myself more slack. Like I kind of think of it as like you're coming into it with no hard expectations on yourself when you're younger. You just have like this freedom to learn as a blank canvas. And then when you're older and you're learning something, then it's like, oh, why can't I get this right away? Or why, mm -hmm. why am I not talented enough to just like get this from right off the bat? And that's a hard um, thing to deal with as well. Definitely. Yeah. It's really hard to see children like succeed at a skill that you're trying to learn as an adult. Like I, so in Chicago, there's a lot of different kind of, there's a lot of different communities. Like it's, it's very diverse, very similar to, to California. And so every so often I'll see some French speakers walking around. And so I was on the bus recently and I saw like this little, this child and, and his mom, um, and they were on the bus and they were speaking French to each other. And they were talking about something about school. Cause I can pick up like little 
they also talk really fast. So like if you're a native speaker of French, like it's y'all talk really fast, but it's, it's cool. Um, I think that um, they were talking about school and, but they were talking so quickly and I just found myself being like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Just like growing up with that and, and just having that, like taking it for granted. I think that's how, that's how I feel about English. Like when I, whenever I hear from people where English is their second language, like they tend to talk about how a lot of the rules are English of English are kind of weird, which I completely agree with. And um, it's harder to learn as an adult because you have different life experiences that color your experiences or your perceptions on how and how you think you should be doing in your progress. If that makes sense. When you're a child, yeah, you do have a blank canvas and you are free to do that. And you can, it's, it seems like you can kind of just, you can kind of be immersed in it. Exactly. And when you're a child, you don't really get down on yourself as much when you make mistakes. And I think that's like a big difference for me now. Now, if I make a mistake and like I'm playing the wrong guitar chord or something, then I'll be, I'll be like, why didn't I get this? But um, speaking of kids, I, I, I used to go to this uh, guitar class in Michigan with um, a bunch of kids. It was actually a kid's course. And I was the only adult there. I was probably like uh, 21 or 22. And then the, everyone else was six or seven years old. And um, so we all had our guitars and then we had our teacher and it was just hilarious because um, all these kids and all these kids and then me, we were learning together. And then one day the teacher was like really like praising me. Um, He was like, you're doing amazing. And all the little kids were like looking at me and I like just had this like moment of pride, like oh, I'm the best student, at least for today, (laughs) Uh, in a a room of uh, six and seven-year-olds. But um, yeah, so um, I I mean, I would have loved to learn guitar, like learn some of these skills, like in language when I was younger, because I do think it's easier to retain um, some of those things and also just the psychology of learning. I don't think you're in your head as much. I think you have like that ability to fail more and like not, not get down on yourself. So I would have loved that. Instead, my parents uh, put me in this Indian dance called Bardhanatyam, which I did not really enjoy. So that's where it's at. Wish I had taken guitar lessons instead or learned a language. For sure. I just got an image of a 22 year old Anu and she's like in, in this class with the kids and she like learned like some cool riff and the teacher's like, yeah. And then you're like, yeah, suck it kids. Like know your place. Like just. <laughs> well, that's internally, internally, that's what was going on. I was, I was so proud. I was like beaming for the rest of the day. And meanwhile, the, awesome. uh, the other kids were just like staring at me. Like, why, why is she so excited? But yeah, you're like, cause I'm winning at life. Like just, <laughs> but yeah, no, I absolutely, I absolutely relate to that. I've probably, I'm sure I've had some moments where I'm just like, yeah, that's right. Kids like just, I don't know. But one thing about my childhood is that one thing that's different from a lot of people's childhoods is that my parents um, were really strict in some ways, but they never really forced me to 
take classes I didn't want to take. So in turn, I wasn't really sure what to ask for. And so I, I remember my mom being like, oh, your granddad making me go to Japanese school when I was a kid. So I had to like give up my Saturdays to go to Japanese school. And I was like, I wanted friends. I wanted like something to do outside of my regular school that I hated. So I was like, oh, maybe I could go to Japanese school. And she was like, no, no, you'd be giving up your weekends and you have to do your homework and all of that. So I never went to Japanese school. I know a lot of Asian Americans go to variations of like uh, Chinese schools are really a really um, common one, but I never, never did that. So I don't know what that experience is like, but yeah, I wish that my family had seen had seen language as a an important part of pride and culture because I think what happened a lot is that so in like in my family there was a lot of like the kind of assimilate or die kind of kind of mentality and so especially in my grandparents generation so my my granddad learned Japanese and as an adult while he was in the army and so he went to Japan met my grandma and then brought her back here and so that's how we um that's how we like all are here. And so we ended up doing that. And so they speak Japanese, like they speak it to each other. And then I think what had happened, if I'm remembering correctly, is that my, when my mom and her brothers were born, my granddad was like, you don't necessarily need to learn Japanese. What you really need to do is learn English. So then you can um, do well in school, go to college, kind of do that whole, that whole thing. And so I think what had happened is that my mom and her brothers had learned some of it just like by being around it, but none of them speak it now. Like it's very, um, I think they all understand it though, because they were around their parents. But unfortunately that decision was made like decades before I was born. So by the time I came around, my mom didn't think to teach it to us or try to like put us in classes because she didn't, she didn't have that. And so I can't really blame her, but I do wish that that decision wasn't made in the name of, of assimilating. Yeah, that's so funny. I can totally relate because my parents did the exact same thing. So they moved to America when I was about five or six, their top concern or priority was to, you know, make sure my brother and I, um, learned English and were doing well in school and all of that. So they never really emphasized learning their native language, uh, Tamil. Um, instead, they were like, let's focus on English. It's funny because now, like 10 or 20 years later, they'll tell me like that they really regret not passing down the language a little more to us um, because it is a dialect that's not like one of the big, huge languages like Spanish or English. So it's a dialect that's um, not in danger of like of like going extinct or anything. It's not in danger of that. But I think it is in danger of just like fading away in time, like maybe mm-hmm. um, not not anytime recent, but like I mean, not anytime soon, but um, perhaps in like a century or so it, it it's one of those more um rare dialects so it's interesting because they really regret that but i do remember when i was in college which was about 10 years ago i wanted to take tamil in the college and um, they had a class at uh, michigan where i went to school and I was kind of bouncing that off my mom because I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to finally like learn it. And she was like, 
oh, are you sure you can't like take Hindi or something? Because that's like more the national language of India. It'll be a little more useful. Um, so it's just interesting because like, I think that, like you said, all languages are useful, but I think sometimes certain languages are seen as like, oh, you can, in terms of practicality, you can use this more or this may be more helpful for your future. And so I ended up taking Hindi classes in college and I survived for about two weeks. <laughs> After two weeks, I realized that you have to basically write like a whole different language than English when you're doing Hindi. So it's like symbols and all of that. And I was like, I can't do this. So I, I quit. I regret quitting, but it was, um, it was very stressful for me to like, not only like start learning a new language, but also start writing a completely different language as well. Yeah, it's definitely hard to relearn, um, to learn a whole new writing style or a new, a new alphabet. Like with French, at least, like I could figure out the letters and things, but with Japanese, like the symbols, it's very, it's very different and each symbol is a sound. Yeah, I definitely um, relate to family kind of coming back many years later and be like, oh, I wish I had taught you. But I mean, my, my granddad's long passed, but my mom has said like, oh, I wish that I wish that your granddad had taught us and then I could have taught you. And so I think he gets the blame mostly. But um, I find that I'm trying to reclaim that. Like, um, to be honest, I had like kind of a internalized shame about not knowing Japanese because I had been surrounded by people who by people who did know the language. And I felt like there was a really vital part of communication and a part of culture that I was just really missing out on. So there's a part of me that feels really robbed of it. And I think that is a part of my language learning journey where it's like, I'm trying to reclaim things, but I feel really robbed of it. So it's like, I, I feel a bit like upset that I have to go back and reclaim this in the first place, but here we are. I don't anticipate Japanese going away anytime soon, like within the, uh, within a few centuries, but I also know that in America, it's seen as a very niche language. And it's almost uh, seen as a language that a lot of people learn that um, people who are into Japanese culture or anime. For some reason, there's a lot of white people in my life who speak Japanese. Um, both my fiance and my best friend speak Japanese really well. And so um, I found myself feeling a bit self-conscious about that because it's like oh they had experiences that like helped them they were they were both immersed into the culture and so they were able to learn it at various points in their lives which is awesome and like really cool but I never I never got to have that because it's unfortunately that's what racism does where it's like if you're a white person like you can learn you can learn Hindi or you can learn Japanese or you can learn Chinese or whatever and it's seen as like this really cool skill that you have but if I learn it it's like I'm not Americanized enough and so I feel a bit I can't help but feel that a bit. And so um, I'm trying to move past that to to take pride in the culture back. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's also that issue of like when you're learning, um, when you're learning a language and you're basically part of that culture already. So if you're learning Japanese and you're um, actually Japanese, then there's kind of like this expectation that you should already be good at this language. And yeah. 
that's a hard thing to deal with as well. Yeah, I've definitely had that where um, a lot of people like that's an FAQ for me. Like a lot of people are like, oh, do you speak Japanese? And I'm like, no. Like I remember as a child, I don't know if you had this growing up, but a lot of people were like, can you write my name in Japanese? And I'm like, no, I don't speak the language, but um, can't write in the language. And so I, um, I found that really awkward, like that kind of interaction. I have a memory of my friend's sister's fiance at the time. Uh, we were traveling and I guess he he's another white person I've met who speaks Japanese and he was immersed in the culture and all of that, whatever. He was like, oh, do you speak Japanese? And I was like, no, I don't. I, I want to learn it though. And he was like, oh, that's really funny because I speak Japanese and like you're a Japanese person. You don't speak Japanese. He thought it was the funniest shit ever. And um, I felt super ashamed of that. And that um, I've had experiences similar to that have that have kind of informed my relationship to learn the language in the first place because it feels like there's, it made me feel like there was a part of me that I had missed out on because of perceptions on what people think I should and shouldn't know. I now know that doesn't serve me, but it's, it's a lifestyle. I mean, you spend most of, you spend a lot of time trying to undo your internalized racism or your um, internalized intergenerational trauma, which I think it is by having someone be like, this language isn't important enough for my children to learn, my grandchildren to learn. Like, I think that is a form of intergenerational trauma. I think there's also that issue of like, when you're a minority, sometimes there's this like alternate issue of like, oh, do you speak English? Like, <laughs> and that's also extremely frustrating to be like, to grow up in America and um, probably speak English and like uh, excel at English and then be asked that just because of how you look. Like I look very, very Indian, but um, obviously you can tell by my accent that I don't really have like an Indian accent because I grew up in America. And I feel like I could, uh, you know, in terms of English, it's probably one of my strongest subjects. Like I, I scored like um, I think it was like a 34 out of 36 on the ACT. So that's always been like my passion, which is, that, you know, I've, I've loved English, I've loved writing, but even to this day, I'm sure that some people, when they look at me, they're like, oh, like, where is she from? Um, and mm. I don't think that their first like inkling is, oh, this person is from Michigan and you know, they had this history, they're probably like, oh, maybe this person is from another country and maybe they don't speak this language that well. And sure. it's so frustrating. Yeah, it definitely is. It is frustrating. I um, I found that some people, this hasn't happened to me in Chicago, but it did happen to me in, um, in Santa Cruz when I went to college. People would compliment me on my English. And I thought that was hilarious because when I'm you know, I live outside of California now and um, I can definitely tell the different, I've heard people be like, oh, Whitney, you have a California accent. And I'm like, what does that mean? But now that I'm out of the state, like I, I know what that means now. And I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess I kind of do, huh? But I find that it's, um, I try to find humor in it now, but I remember my college self was just infuriated because I found myself feeling really othered. And it was like, oh, I don't, it's like, oh, of course I speak good English. Like this is, I only know English. Like um, if I made it a, like a grammatical mistake, um, sometimes um, I'll do that because I talk really fast um, in my real life. And so it's like, people would be like, oh, it might be because she like 
it's like her second language. It's like, no, it, it really isn't. Like, it's just, this is, I don't know. It's just kind of weird, but yeah, no, it, it is hard to, to deal with that where it's like, people just make these snap judgments about you um, just based on how you look. And I think a lot of people of color can empathize with that as well because our, both of our accents are very Americanized. And so there's a certain, um, there's like, it like surprises people for some reason. Yeah. Just that experience of like getting that comment. Oh, you speak English really well. Like it's, I don't know what to say about that. I think, I think the people who say that comment, they feel like they're giving you a compliment. Oh, they do. Yeah. But it's like, as the person like on the receiving end, you have to kind of like empathize with their perspective and their perspective is like, of course I speak English. Well, I've, you know, lived here for 20 years. It's all I know. And to be told, you know, you speak English really well, it can come off quite um, degrading in a way. So yeah, I think um, even if it's said with really good intentions, you kind of have to like not make snap judgments of people. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on, I say this all the time, like it depends on how much labor you want to put in with that person. So it's like, if this is not that this has happened before, but like if, if it's like the cashier at Starbucks, right? Like down the street where I live and someone says, Oh, you speak English really well. I'm going to see that person again. So I might choose to say something like, Oh yeah, English is my first language and um I've lived here my whole life. But I I don't think I would confront them like right then and there and like kind of a like lesson on microaggressions because they're minimum wage workers and they like they don't get paid enough to hear to hear that in that moment. But I think I would say something like, Oh yeah, I've I've been speaking it my whole life. I hope I'm good at it. Or I would like say something kind of snappy like that. I think if it's someone um I find that a lot of like older white people have said that that's where that's pretty much where most of my kind of microaggressive comments come from kind of like older older white people and um that's just something I've noticed where it's like oh you speak English so well and I'm like thanks like because I I feel so caught off guard each time it happens so I would hope now that I have the confidence in um, who I am. And this podcast has helped me so reclaim aspects of my culture so much. Like, I don't know if I would have signed up for Japanese classes if not for this podcast. So it helps me as much as I hope it helps a lot of you listeners out there. But I would hope now I could respond differently and be like, yeah, I've been speaking it my whole life. It's it's what I do. Like, it's just, it's not, it's really, it's not a pony trick. Like, it's just, it's just what I do. It's part of my existence. I think, uh, yeah, no one in the Midwest has said this that to me. It's mostly in Santa Cruz, where I lived for a long time. So I don't know why that is. What about, hmm, so we're, a lot of people are learning languages as adults for fun. I wish that I had some kind of pearl of wisdom to say, because a lot of, I, I find that sometimes when I have started telling people that I'm like trying to relearn this language and trying to take things back. And that that's part of the motivation behind like changing my name eventually. And also like relearning, relearning these, it's like, Oh, how should I kind of move past that? And it's a daily practice. I mean, I, I gotta admit, like I don't practice Japanese or French every day. It's really hard for me to be motivated to do so because the progress is so slow. And I think I'm 
like most of us are really used to instant gratification. It's not an instant gratification thing. It's very much like a, you make really slow progress and then you're like, one day you just know something and you're like, oh yes. And that's kind of the moment, that's kind of the high you chase, I guess. And so if you are like me and you're trying to learn a language as an adult, like it's, um, know that you're not alone in that, like you're not alone in trying to reclaim this part of your culture. And like, no matter where you are, like it's, it's okay. It's also interesting, like what can be added on to languages. Like I know, um, like every year there's like these new slang terms that uh, millennials come up with that I have no clue about. And I'll have to like really discreetly go on to Urban Dictionary and like uh, figure it out and then like pretend I know. Um, but yeah, I actually like uh, looked up the top uh, slang words for 2021, and it'd be it's funny. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read them out to you and see if you can guess what they mean. But the first, the first is uh, Rona and Vid. What does that okay. mean? Okay, so Rona is like Miss Rona, so it's like Miss Rona's coming to visit you. I've heard this before. Also, I think it's Gen Z who like has the slang power now, right? Oh, like yeah, perhaps. Cause, yeah, because we're millennials. I think we would know, like you know, you know, you get the millennial newsletter in the mail. Like, <laughs> no, but, um, I, I'm not signed up. <laughs> oh, you should sign up. A lot of useful <laughs> info in there, but no, I um, no, the slang that is another kind of whole new rabbit hole that I could go down about slang because I'm trying to, as a queer person, like we have a history of coming up with different ways to describe our experiences. And so I find that those aren't readily available in these languages that I'm trying to learn. And yeah. I have to like specifically seek out niche websites because my tutors, um, they don't, they don't always know because they're used to speaking the language, like in their kind of daily life. And if you're, these are words that you only know if you're in the community. And so it's, um, it's, interesting to like I was trying to figure out the French term for non-binary I was like describing my um my partner to to my tutor and my tutor was like are you with a man or a woman and I was like um both and neither like so and she was like oh do you have a preference and I'm like um no like so I was trying to like figure out this word I eventually figured it out but it was just it's really interesting kind of like um yeah slang slang is a whole thing <laughs> And it yeah. changes. All right. So Rona is a slang for the coronavirus and she visits you and mutates and kills you. Exactly. Rona and yeah. vid is for COVID and coronavirus. The second most popular word is yeet. What does oh, that yeet. Oh, I use yeet all the time. Like it's <laughs> like when I talk about like eating children, like just you throw it out, just <laughs> just, oh, no. that doesn't sound very good yeah like yeet no i use yeet constantly i use yeet and um snack snack is to describe an attractive person yeah is that, I, on, is that on your list uh snack is not on the list but i often refer to my dog jojo as a snack i'll be like jojo you're looking like a snack today oh jojo um, is a snack <laughs> yeah the last word in the top three is sus so that means so I must I must be a super cool kid because it means that it's like suspect like I suspect yeah. you're whatever so yeah yeah yeah, see, cool. yeah I, I'm only vaguely familiar with these terms I actually didn't know the first one at all I was like what is that but um yeah <laughs> you know I think um I saw a meme because as everyone knows memes are my life and um there was this teacher who had created a spreadsheet of these slang terms so they could like 
communicate with their Generation Z and younger at this point, God, um, students. And so like there was a spreadsheet. I remember Rona wasn't on there, but Yeet and Sus was on there. Um, Snack was on there and it literally said in the answer like, like an attractive person. And so I just, I just, I thought that was funny. And I, um, I think about how like we're getting to that age where we're going to need a spreadsheet. But remember when we were so hard on our parents? I was hard on my parents. I was like, oh, you guys talk so properly, so lame. But yeah, we definitely need to give our parents a little bit of slack. Um, but yeah, so that kind of sums it up for our episode on language learning. Um, we hope you've, you know, enjoyed taking this journey with us as we went back and looked at the languages we know, the languages we're currently learning. And in terms of advice for people who are learning languages right now, I think my number one thing would be to just be patient with yourself and be really gentle on yourself in terms of learning. I think as adults, we're more hypercritical of ourselves when we don't get something right off the get-go. And um, it's actually harder to learn things as an adult because you, you, know, you have more information to retain. Give yourself a lot of... Uh, a lot of space to make mistakes and, uh, uh, you know, don't try to give yourself this really rigid timeline, just take it slow and take it easy. But other than that, that sums up our episode. If you enjoyed it, please uh, visit our social media and give us uh, five-star reviews on Spotify or Apple podcasts. And also we have our new coffee account. So if you want to contribute to that, we will put that in our show notes along with our social media. And that rounds it out for episode two of Building Community. We'll see you next episode.